attention, please. Good morning or good evening, depending on whatever shift your seniority allows you to hold. I'm William Young, correctional <laughs> officer and author of When Home Becomes a Housing Unit. Tonight, I'll be your ever so gracious host and director of dialogue for the duration of this discussion. Allow me to welcome you with warm, unwavering, outstretched and open arms to this week's edition of the Saturday Night Synopsis. Tonight, my brave brothers and sisters, I have with me Miss Brianna Mellon, the executive assistant at Blue Help. Hi, Brianna. How you doing tonight? I'm good, thanks. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks for being on tonight. I appreciate it. It's 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 uh, ten o'clock where you're at. Is that right? It is ten o'clock. Yes, I had a lot of coffee. I had <laughs> nice. Very good. Yeah. Very good. I actually go. <laughs> uh, I actually gave up uh, coffee back in February. And oh uh, god. Yeah, it's it's terrible. And then I. How do you uh, stay awake? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, w water and I, jumping jacks. I don't know. Oh. I'm a night shift guy, so that it really, really sucks. Um, yeah. um I, I did, uh, I did splurge a little bit tonight. I went and picked up my wife some coffee, uh, this morning, uh, from Starbucks. And so I did, uh, I did have, mm -hmm. uh, a coffee this morning. So I, uh, broke my, uh, broke my fast or whatever you want. Oh, call no. It. <laughs> so, all right. So. For those of you who don't know, there is a fantastic organization out there called Blue Help. And Blue Help is, if Miss Brianna will talk about it, uh, for those of you who don't know, she's going to let you know uh, what the organization does and how it is important to our profession and why you should be supporting Blue Help. Miss Brianna? Yeah, so uh, so Blue Help was established in uh, 2016 um, by co-founders uh, Karen Solomon Jeff and Jeff McGill. And they saw kind of like a lack of awareness for uh, law enforcement suicide um, and a huge stigma attached to law enforcement suicide. And, and it was so prevalent. And so they, um, they decided to start this organization to bring awareness and to try to get rid of that stigma that's attached to um, law enforcement seeking mental health um, help. And so we started tracking officer suicides in 2016. And um, so last year in 2019, we ended with 228 officer suicides. As of today, we have 61. We had one yesterday, unfortunately. Um, and so in addition to tracking officer suicides, we also, um, we provide services for the families who have been affected by officer suicides. So, um, we send care packages to them, and we um, actually this this year we were supposed to start holding uh, grief camps for kids who have lost a parent 
um, or a family member to suicide um, because unfortunately they get treated very differently than uh, kids who have lost a parent in the line of duty. Right. Um, and so we were supposed to start, we were supposed to have our first camp in June in Massachusetts. Uh, but unfortunately because of the virus that got canceled. Um, and so we're hoping to hold, I believe it's in October. We were supposed to be holding one in California. So hopefully that one is still going to, uh, pull through. Um, but yeah, like our main mission is just, uh, bringing awareness to, um, to officer suicide and really putting emphasis on the fact that it's not how they died that matters. It's like all service is honorable. So they like, no matter how many years they put in that service still means something right. and it's still, you know, like no matter how they died, it still means something. So we, we really think that's important. So you said 228 officers took their own life last year. Yes, and, that's and correct. And which is to put it in perspective next to line of duty deaths is that that line of duty was about half of that. Half of that. And that's what we yeah. always focus on. We always focus on that right. line of duty death. And 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 what what I found uh, impressive and important to me is that Blue Help also recognizes correctional officers in that statistic and in that number when right. there's not a lot of organizations out there that do that. And so I really appreciate that. Um, right. We had a we had an officer here um, that. Uh, took his own life and it it, it wasn't even recognized and yeah. uh, and like you said it doesn't it doesn't matter how they how they died it's it's the fact that they did and that they served their community and and they need the recognition uh that that the line of duty deaths uh, do as well so i appreciate that so can you tell me uh brianna why is this such a uh how did you get into this your your dad was a correctional officer correct Correct. Yeah. Um, my dad was a correction officer. He retired, um, after I think it was about like 22 years, he retired as a captain from the Supermax prison in Massachusetts. And he, uh, took his own life when I was 19 years old. So about nine years ago, um, in 2011, and it was about 18 months after he retired. And, um, after that, I kind of, I was really, it shattered my entire world because I honestly had a really amazing childhood growing up. Um, it was, it was ideal. Like we, um, it was my mom, my dad, my brother, a golden retriever. Right. Like it really was like, just the, I, I had the best childhood. I have no complaints whatsoever. Uh, they really, um, they were some of the best parents and my dad always made sure we were comfortable and happy and made sure that we had everything we needed. And, it really was an ideal childhood. And Jeez, if, if my kids, if my kids listen to this, they're gonna they're gonna be mad at me because I yell and scream and throw things and everything <laughs> oh, else. No. They're gonna be like, how come how come her dad never did any of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was there was some of that too. Okay? Like, I, okay, maybe I'm painting it too perfect. But, no, no, no. But um, but like every family, like we had our we had our 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 issues too. But um, for the most part, like I have no complaints for how I grew up and um and. So it was, it was really difficult for me to, to be like processing this. And so in my way of processing it, I started doing research and I started, um, right after he passed away, um, I went to school at university of Rhode Island and, um, I went back part-time and my family was really pushing me to just try to get some normalcy back into my life and like, not let this, you know, like 
they didn't want me to drop out of school. They wanted me to continue to go for my bachelor's degree. And they, um, they really encouraged me to, um, to do that and try to continue some sort of, uh, normal lifestyle. Sure. And so when I was away, I started doing research and I found that correction officers were, um, their life expectancy was 58 years old. Um, they only, so 18, they only live or on average 18 months after they retire. Hey, say that again. Um, what, what, say, say the average life expectancy again. 58. 58. What's, do you know what the yeah. average life expectancy of a, of a normal person is? Isn't it like 78? It's 78, like, 78. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's 20 years. So it's 20. Yes. Yeah. Um, and in all of these statistics I'm reading and I'm like, how does nobody know about that? And so like, I, I literally, I picked up my phone, I called my mom and I was like, did you know that like corrections officers, like, like all this is happening. And she was like, what? She's like, I had no idea. And so I would tell my friends and I would tell my family members and I would, and they, everybody was like, we, everyone was like in shock. And it, when I would tell people outside of my family, cause a lot of my family is like in law enforcement and healthcare and everything. So like around the same profession, if I would tell people outside of our family, they would be like, wait, what does a correction officer even do? Right. right. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, aren't they just like babysit? Like they babysit right. like the bad guys or I don't like, no. And so I would have to go on like this hour long soapbox about like about what correction officers deal with every day. I was like, my dad freaking like he like literally would get like, I'm not going to get too graphic, but you know, the stuff right. that gets thrown sure. at, at correction officers, sure. you know, there's like horrific stories. And, and you can get you can get graphic. There's there's correctional okay, officers watching this. They're they're all at okay. home shaking their heads saying yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, like there was like there was one one story I, I vividly remember because this is one of the first times he told me a story was um so like one night he came home and he was having like an like a an extra bad night. And so I was like, What's going on? I was like, What's happening? And uh, one of the inmates had crushed up a pair of eyeglasses and he like swallowed them and it just ripped through his body. Yeah. Like, and he, so he had to help clean up the scene and everything. And he was like, yeah, this is like, this is my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's what I deal with. And um, nothing, nothing makes you reflect more on life and your decisions than a moment like that. When you're, right. st- when yeah. you're standing <laughs> in the middle of that and, and you have, you have blood and you have whatever liquid and it's all over your boots. You're like, you know, yeah. I should have paid attention more in school. <laughs> Where did I go wrong? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I started doing all this research and I, um, I finally came back to the fact that people, like I needed people to know about this because like I, oh, it it was tough. Like after my dad passed away, like every, it was a shock to our community, to everybody. And everyone was just like, he killed himself. Like, like why, how, like so many questions. And so I started, um, my own nonprofit organization, um, when I was 19 or I was like almost 20 that time. And it was, it was for mental health awareness for correction officers. And so I started it with my best friend, Julie, who was a family friend. Uh, we grew up together and we had 5Ks, we had conferences, we and we really did in Mass. We were ma- mainly based in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and we really did raise a lot of awareness. And um, 
unfortunately in like 2017 we had to dissolve there just wasn't the funding there right and so like you could go to any organization and be or any company any anything any business and be like hey i have this organization for police officers or for firefighters or something but like if you go to we found it was really disheartening like we did have a lot of companies that supported us but we found that a lot of places we went to we got turned down for funding just or like sponsorships just because we were old, we were strictly like for corrections which was really sad because like you are law enforcement right. <laughs> so we were like so it was it was disheartening for sure but I, i've um, gone up to i've i've gone to like if we have like parades or like little things and there's a booth that's raised money for you know firefighters and and police officers and law enforcement and I go up and I ask them, I say, well, does this include corrections? And they look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, why, yeah. you know, why would it? And I'm like, well, yeah. uh, because when well. you have, because where do you think <laughs> you bring your guys? You bring them to yeah. us, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the same with, with, uh, you know, when we go out to eat, you know, you know, there's, there's nobody that understands what we do because we do it behind the wall. And, and so we don't have that. We don't have that public that's that's falling all over themselves to to support us like right. like our our brothers on the on the streets do right yeah so so after we dissolved um that organization um i get a phone call from karen so karen solomon one of the co-founders of blue help um and they were looking to actually start they wanted to start paying someone to like to um because they were growing so big so she was like we really need help um with this and this and this and this and she was like I know you have experience with this um is it something you'd be interested in and so and I had met Karen through um on guard which was my um my nonprofit, and um yeah and so it just worked out and so that that's how I landed um getting into blue help so well that's awesome I appreciate I appreciate your efforts and I appreciate you being out there beating the drum for us if you don't mind the, the story, uh, so I came across your um, Facebook, you did a, a story on Blue Help's Facebook page a, a couple of yes. weeks ago, mm-hmm. and you talked a little bit about it, and that's how I found out that your dad had killed himself, um, and then we talked on the phone, and you and you told me the story. Would you mind sharing the story with the people that are watching tonight? Sure. Let them know yeah, what happened. Course. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'll go, so... I really noticed a huge, when I first saw the mo- the biggest change in him, it was my summer, my first summer home from college. So it was after my freshman year of college and I had come home from the summer and for the summer and he was, oh, he was not the same person that I left when I, he was, he, it was so sad to see. He was just, he was so withdrawn, so negative, so cynical, so just truly his energy it was just hard to be around because he was just so miserable and he actually at the same time too was dealing with an oxycodone addiction um which was a result of an injury he had gotten when he was um when he was a teenager and he so basically he had been he had been on increasing amounts of painkillers for his entire life and so when I came home I was just like what's going on like him and my mom were fighting all the time it was just a really hard environment to live in and so after a couple months of dealing with that I ended up 
uh, moving out of my house temporarily. I like I packed a bag and I was like, I need to go stay with my aunt and uncle. This is just a horrible environment to be in right now. And so I was there for about a week. And then my mom followed me and she was like, you know what? She was like, I have tried everything to try to get him to get help, to try to get him to see the state he's in. And she was like, I don't know what else to do anymore. She was like, they had been to therapy. They like, they went to couples therapy. She tried therapy by herself. Um, He refused to go back to the therapist because he thought that the therapist and my mom were conspiring against him. (laughs) And because it's like in his crazy, he was so crazy paranoid. And, um, and she was like, I don't know what else to do. And she was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to tell him, basically give him, give him, an ultimatum she was like i'm gonna go stay with my sister and she was like i need like you need to get help like this is not okay and so she and i were living in my aunt's house for like another week and he gave her a text message and he said hey can you come over after you get out of work i want to talk and of course she was like yeah okay i'll come over to the house when i go to work so she didn't tell anybody that she was going over uh, to his house, to the, our house. And so she gets there and he's sitting in the living room and he is sitting on the couch and he, like she sits down next to him and he was like, um, like, I want you to come home. Like you, you need to come home. And she was like, she was like, Michael, I, I don't know what else to do. I can't live like this anymore. She was like, I need, you're not the same person I married. You're not even the same person I knew a year ago. She was like, you need to go get help. And this is just out of control. And he was like, I'm not doing it. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to go get help. And he goes under the couch cushion and he pulls a gun out from under the couch cushion. And he was like, I need you to come home like now. And she was like, I don't know exactly what happened in these next moments, but I right. know that she kind of like tried to reach for the gun and kind of, you know, like try to like stop him from doing something crazy. And he ended up, um, he hit her over the head with the gun um, and beat her up pretty good. He brought her up to the bedroom and he started to try to kill her. So he was strangling her and uh, she just kept repeating my name and my brother's name. And she was like, that's all I could think about to try to get him to stop. And eventually like, thank God, I don't know what possessed him to stop, but he, he was in a blind rage. Right. Like he was just like, that was not him. He had some kind of psychotic break. It, that just, that's not my dad, like ever in a million he never would have touched my mom or my brother and I ever in a million years. Right. So I know something was bad. Like something was off. I know that wasn't him. And he, for some reason he, he stopped. And so he ended up tying her up to a chair and he took all the, he unplugged the landlines. He took all the phone, like cell phones and everything out of the house and he left the house and he called 911. He said, there's uh, somebody at this address that needs medical attention. So uh, the cops rush over there. Um, and while the cops are going there, my dad's going the opposite direction. And he drives to a nearby town and 
he actually went to a lake that we used to go to all the time. We used to have a boat and he went to the lake and he parked by the lake and he shot himself in his car. And so while all this is happening, so I get a phone call from my brother and my brother's like frantic. And he was like, why, why are there, there's police at our house. There's an ambulance at our house. Like what's going on? A neighbor just called me. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. But like when I got that phone call, I knew, I knew I was like something bad happened uh, because just knowing his state the past couple months, like I knew, I just knew something bad had happened. And so I jumped in my car. My aunt's house was like 10 minutes away, jumped in my car and I drove over and I turned the corner and I see our street was blocked off by probably it was a small town. So probably like every cop car we had in town was there. And so the street was all blocked off. My whole house was blocked off by yellow tape. And um, I blacked out for a couple. I, I don't even know what happened, but I parked my car. I was told this is what happened. I parked my car in the middle of the street and I left it running, left the door open, everything. I ran towards my, I just did a beeline towards my house. I ran under the tape and like a cop tackled basically like tackled he like grabbed me and he was sure. like what are you doing <laughs> like crazy person like running towards the house right and I was like I'm the daughter I live here what's go- like this is my house what's going on and I saw my mom's car in the driveway and my dad's car was gone and I'm trying to like take in everything like all the doors in my house were smashed in because they had to like forcibly enter and um he was like calm down he was like where's your dad and I was like, what? I don't know. I was like, well, you tell me. I was like, I don't know right. where he is. And he, they were like, okay, well, like if he was in trouble, where would he go? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I, my grandparents, Canada, Mexico. Right. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> like, and so right. um, I was like, he'll probably go to my grandparents' house. And they're like, we already have cops there. They're like, where else? And I was like, I was like, I don't know. I was like, what is going on right now? I was like, is my mom in there? And he was like, well, he was like, she's alive. That's what she like, said. So you said, is my mom in there? And he said, well, she's alive. He was like, yeah, she's in there. She's alive. Oh, great. And yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> can I have, can I have some more information about this? And he was like, he was like, so there is like an altercation between your dad and your mom. Um, your dad has left. We don't know where he is. And they're like, we're trying to find him. And they were like, did your dad own any guns? And he used to take me shooting all the time. So like I knew what guns he owned. Right. So I told them and they were like, oh, they like, they were like, one's missing. And um, I was like, yep, this is going to be horrible. So they were preparing to take my mom um, downstairs and into the, they were going to load her into the ambulance and they didn't want me to see her the way that she looked. And so they had me sit in one of the cruisers and in like the, in I'm talking to the off, one of the officers and I'm trying to answer questions and stuff. And I look in the side mirror and I see my dad's parents pulling up. Oh geez. And I'm like, Oh shit. I was like, how did they know to come? I was like, how did they know? Right. And so I get out of the car and they, my, my grandmother's like, she falls to the ground. She's sobbing. Like my grandfather's like, what the hell is going on right now? And like, I run, I like got out of the car and I ran up to them and I hugged them and I was like, I tried to give them the fastest lowdown I could. 
and like they just randomly on a whim because they hadn't heard from my dad or my mom all day they just drove over right like just drove over and that's what they drove up and saw and so they ask us all to go down to the police station to answer more questions so we get down there and like my whole family's there and we're answering questions and stuff and i i'm just like like hyper focused on my mom because they didn't give us any information right. there uh, like i didn't know what was going on with her like i didn't know and so the officer was like well well so i said to the officer i was like i I I don't know what to tell you, but I was like my knowing my dad, knowing him as a person and his integrity and how he feels about his character. I was like, there is no way in a million years he would ever do something like this ever and live with himself. And I was like, so if you guys don't find him, I was like, he's going to do something to himself. I knew it. I was like, because he wouldn't he would never live with himself after doing something like that to my mom. He loved her. They met when they, they met when they were 18 years, sorry, (laughs) they met when they were 18 years old. Like they were the love of each other's life. Like they, you know, it it just didn't make sense. And so eventually we go to the hospital and that, those are some images that are ingrained in my brain forever. When you saw your mom. Yeah. Uh, so we get to the hospital and I turn the corner to the hospital room Two armed guards standing outside too. And so I go in and she is blonde, blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And it was just like dark, dark red, like matted, dark red hair from like, cause he hit her over. He hit her in the head so much. Like she had staples in her head. She had stitches on her face, like under her eye. Um, her wrists were all cut up from being tied um, her whole body was like, she's, t- she's tiny, right. her whole body bruised and swollen. Um, like she really fought, like she knew what he was going to do. And she really fought to try to save his life. She really did. Um, I mean, one of the strongest people I know, I love her so much. Like Absolutely. I just love her so much. But, um, so we sat, my brother and I sat with her for a little while and then the social worker took us into a room with like my grandparent, my dad's parents, my mom's parents. Um, and we sat down and they were like, so we found your dad. And I was like, is he dead? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, did he kill himself? And they're like, yeah. And so that's how we found out. We found out at the hospital. Um, so that's a, uh, that's a hell that's, of a story, yeah. Brianna. Yeah, it was it was it, absolutely the toughest day of my life, and I I still have PTSD from that sure. every, every day. Um, but I, 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 you said you said earlier that your dad was a different person. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Because because for us, we we don't see the change in ourselves right away because. A lot of us are foolish in thinking that it has to be an event like you're talking about, or it has to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody stabbed us or something for for the job to affect us, for us to develop symptoms of anxiety or depression or PTSD. And, and sometimes it's none of that. It's it's just over time the job kind of erodes our soul, if you will, 
uh, talk to me a little bit about how your dad was, and, and then you said he was a little bit different. What, what, I mean, what were some of the things that you saw on him that were different? So he was always the he was always a very like stern guy. Like he, he definitely developed that like outer uh, facade of just being very, like he definitely had a presence to him. Like he was very stern, very serious, but at the same time he was the most sarcastic, funny guy like you would ever meet. Like, and he, whenever, like he was always the good time guy, always telling jokes, like always the life of the party, like at family parties and stuff. Like he was always just really fun. And he always was very engaging with my brother and I. Um, he was always at all my tennis matches, my soccer matches, like the best. He was always present. Like when he wasn't working cra- his crazy shifts, right? he was always like, he was always there. And he, he was just, he was a great guy to have as a dad. He really was. And what happened with him and I've had many conversations with my mom about this is and cause she knew him since they were 18 and he had always had a certain personality. He was always a, had a certain way about him and the job and then certain other life, life events that happened. It, it was an accumulation of a lot of things. Sure. So when he was, when the reason he was on painkillers was because he was in a car accident um, when he was like 19 and it like crushed both his legs. And so he also was phenomenal at baseball. And so this accident ruined his baseball career. And so that, that started when he was like 19, 20. And so from there on, it, it was like everything that just piled on top mm-hmm. of this foundation of just, I don't know, just like disappointment and just, you know, just not actually feeling like fulfilled in his life. And um, around the time that he passed away, our family was also dealing with financial issues. So he had finance, we had finance, severe financial issues. Um, and then on top of that, he had his addiction he had the job, which was destroying him. And he was in um, internal investigations for like, he was doing internal investigations for a while too. Oh, fun. So yeah, fun stuff. yeah. So like he lost everybody. Right. Obviously. Cause everyone's like, Oh, like, all right, yeah. well, can't be friends with you. Anymore. Right. Yeah. No one and wants so, to talk to those like, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that really did a number on him. And like to the point where he one day came home to my mom and he was like, I'm not fucking going back. He was like, I'm not like, I'm not. And he was like, and he literally retired (laughs) like right then and there. I say that every, I say that every time I leave the facility, I say, I'm not fucking going back there. And (laughs) then I, and then I go home, go to bed for six hours and come back. Yeah. Um, but he had reached his breaking point. So like when I had come home from college, I think it took me being removed from the situation and then coming back to realize how much he had changed. Sure. So I came back and there would be like, oh, like there would be a week, like out of every month where my dad would stay in bed. He wouldn't leave. Like he would use all his sick hours. He would stay in bed. He wouldn't get out of bed. Um, And it took a lot of convincing to get my family to tell me 
I didn't even learn until I came home from college that he had an addiction problem. I didn't know, like my parents did a very good job of sheltering my brother and I from a lot of stuff that went on with my dad and with my mom and with their marriage. And, um, and I appreciate that. I do. Right. I, I understand why they did that. I do. But what I've really come to understand is why this has impacted me so badly is because in one day, my entire world fell apart. Right. Like this life that I thought was so perfect and this family that I thought, like, I, like, I just thought I had the most perfect, like ideal life. And then I, like in one day it all blew up. And so when, okay, no, I keep getting sidetracked. You're and fine. so now, You're so, <laughs> so when I came back from college and I found out that he finally, he had this addiction problem, there was one night where I was out with friends and I come home and it's like around like 1130 and we're sitting in the living room and, or so I come home and my dad is still awake at like 1130. And so I get home and he, and I just start talking about like my night or whatever. And it gets to be like 1150 and he was like, okay, I got to go. It's <laughs> like, what? I was like, where are you going? And he was like, I just have to run an errand. And I was like, all right, like, that's really weird. And so I didn't think anything of it. But I was awake when he came home, like half an hour later. And he came home with like a big bag of his prescriptions. And I was like, okay, so he was waiting until midnight for his prescriptions to get filled. So he could go to the 24 hour pharmacy and get his prescriptions. So I didn't realize it was that bad until like, this was probably like two months before he passed away. And, um, and it was, it was, it was tough to learn all of this in like a span of a couple months. So I came home from college in what, like June, July, or probably June. And then this all happened in August. So what I stress a lot to when I talk to people about this is I feel very strongly that if I had some idea, like even a little inclination that this was going on in our family, I would have treated things a lot differently. Like I feel like things like, I don't know. I, 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 I like to think that it's always like a coulda, shoulda, woulda, right. but like, I like to think that if my family had been more open with us about mental health and about what he was going through and about his job. Even I didn't even know what he did for a job. I knew he put on a uniform and he left and he wasn't there for most holidays. And like, that's all I knew, (laughs) you know, like until I was a lot older, I didn't understand what he did for a living. And so I think being open obviously not about the chewing up eyeglasses story but but like being open with your kids about like the profession and what you go through every day i think i would have been a lot more understanding for sure it's 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 hard for uh for us to come home because here's the thing we can come home there's there's some things that happen at the facility that think that we think are hilarious And, and then we come home and we try to tell the story and nobody thinks it's funny but us. <laughs> Everyone's right? like, what's wrong with you? And, right, yeah. You know, I, I watched a grown man take a shit right in front of me today. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah nobody nobody at the dinner table thinks that's funny. Um, yeah. But but for a lot of us, the things that we see 
they fucking bother us. And, and, yeah. and so we don't want to go home, right? We're the, we're the, we're, we're professional tough guys and gals. And we, when we go home, we're, we're, uh, you know, the role model, the superhero, the dad, whatever, the mom, we don't want to admit that that stuff bothers us. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and then we get this wild idea that nobody's going to understand anyways. So if we try to open up, we try to talk about it, that no one's going to understand. So we just bottle it up. We just internalize it. Right. And yeah. that's, that's the exact opposite of what we need to do. And, and, and so it, it's something, especially in corrections, I, I can speak for, I, I don't know how it is in, in the other emergency services, but because what we do is so downplayed by the public and society that we don't even recognize the importance of what we do. And, mm-hmm. and, and so we feel this, this, um, I'm going to say sometimes like, like why, you know, kind of shamed kind of, uh, uh, I don't know why this is bothering me. This shouldn't bother me. My job isn't that tough. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange balance. Uh, I, I want to, I want to yeah. touch on something you said. Um, you know, uh, here, here's the thing. When I've talked about suicide with correctional officers and, uh, we automatically get defensive. We, we, we think that when, and, and honestly, not just correctional officers, but the public in general, they think that people are weak. They think it's a, you know, they're just checking out what, you know, we, we all know, we all know what people say, Yeah. but they don't think that the job has anything to do with their problems. They think that, mm-hmm. and I know that there's people that'll be listening to your story that, that will say, Oh, see, he was, he was on pain pills. So that's, that's what happened. Or he was, you know, he had, he had other issues and that's what happened. But w- what they don't understand is that the, the working in corrections, working inside of a correctional facility is not going to help any of that. So, so right. if you, if you have any problems outside of work, or you have any insecurities or or anything going on, corrections is going to amplify that. It's gonna it's gonna make you worse. It's not like you can go to your cubicle and and, and chop it up with the person next to you about the football game that you just watched. I mean, you're yeah. surrounded by by you know inmates that that could kill you at any minute. Right. And so there's just not that outlet. So what what yeah. what would you say? To, I mean, what's your response when? Because I get pissed off when somebody says, "Ah, oh, you know that's." It wasn't the job that that killed him. I mean, I yeah. I lose I lose my shit. But but you're obviously more refined than me. Uh, <laughs> so so what? Give give me something that I could say. Give me a response to that. I know that's a tough one. So I for my dad, it definitely was the the we like to we call it like the perfect storm. So like not only did he have all of this stuff happening. Well, first of all, he had a certain person. And let's face it y'all have like, I don't want to generalize, but there's a certain personality that goes into law enforcement. We're assholes. That's fine. We're cynical assholes. That's fine. You can say it. (laughs) No, but, and, and so we had touched on this when we were on the phone the other day too, is that like, you need to take stock of what your personality is before you enter this profession. And then you need to reevaluate where you're at a year later with the certain personality traits that have now been amplified and highlighted because of, a certain change in your life, which has been the profession. Right. So if your anger is getting amplified, you find yourself getting angry and you have like this certain reaction to things that you wouldn't have been angry about before. Like that, like that's a problem. And so I think it really comes 
back to being aware from the very beginning that like, yes, you are going to have all the shit that's going to be happening behind the scenes outside of your job. But like, it's not going to help when you go in inside these walls and there's people that are literally like treating you like dirt and trash. And like, it's negative, 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 negative. And like, not only like between administration, between the inmates, between, you know, it's like other staff, it's all other staff. Like it's just constant negativity. Right. So like, why would you be having marital issues and then go to this job and then think it's going to help? Right. Like it's going to make it a million times worse. Like you're, if anything, it's going to cause like issues at work and right. so, you know, like, so I mean, there, I can't, like, I can't fathom people that just think that you guys can do what you do and it doesn't, it just doesn't affect you in any way. Like you literally are living with murderers and rapists and drug, like drug dealers and like, you know, like the worst people of the worst. So anything that's going on in your life and then you have the job on top of it, it's, it, it's craziness. Like it's, you know, like I don't understand how people don't see how and, and the job would affect anything. They, they <laughs> yeah, and they're not. And, and so, and we talked about this on the phone too. The, 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 the problem is they don't prepare us for that when we go through the academy. See, they, they right. tell us that we're going to get kicked and stabbed and gassed, and, and they show us how to, how to defend ourselves, how to talk with people with our hands up. And, and, and so in our mind, we're ready. We're ready to defend ourselves from physical attacks. We're watching our back. Uh, but they don't touch on the psychological damage that we're going to— Listen, I've, in, in 16 years, I've had, I've had two inmates go after me, just me. I've, I've been in other fights and other situations, but only two— that went after me. Mm-hmm. But every single day, my mental health is at risk. My emotional well-being is at risk. I've had people threaten to kill me. I've had people threaten to kill my family. And, mm-hmm. and, and I don't understand how people don't think that that changes the way that you live your life. When somebody says okay. to you, hey, I know your shift. I know your day's off. And when you're at work, I'm going to have my homeboys come to your house and burn it down while your family's sleeping. I mean, how does that not yeah. affect how you how you think about the world? Yeah. Yeah. My dad, no, I I even remember he he would barely even take family pictures with us. He was like, What if these pictures like got out somehow? He was like, I don't want people to see what me and my family he was like, I don't want to see people to see me with my family. Right. Because like he was like that paranoid that like it, it, somebody was gonna see what we looked like and then come try to find us. And he was like, I just don't like, you know. Like the paranoia was, it was crazy and understandably because he was getting death threats every day. Like, well, and and you're right. And so the 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 hard thing for us is the paranoia, the cynicism, all of the the sarcasm, the sick sense of humor, all that stuff keeps us alive inside, mm-hmm. right? Those are that's how we survive our shift. That's how we deal with the things that we see and the insults that are thrown at us. But those things tear us apart outside and, and and coming in and out of of that environment 50 60 70 hours a week for decades it it destroys the person that we were before we came in and right. and, and you touched on this the other, the other day when we talked you we're not going to see the change in ourselves first so so if somebody at home is telling you mm-hmm. that there's a problem 
then there's probably a problem, right? Yeah. And yeah. And my mom, my mom, um, and by the way, my mom is doing great right now for anybody, for anybody wondering, she is remarried and she's super happy and she, um, she's thriving. Um, but she goes around and she talks about being the spouse of, uh, um, of a correction officer. And that's one of the things that she emphasizes the most. And she was like, if the person you've known for however long, and it's the closest person to you and you live with this person every single day and they muster up the courage to be like, listen, what's going on with you? Like, I feel like there's been like a real change and like, are, are you going through something? Like, it just seems like you, there's a lot of changes going on with you. How can I help? And you turn around and you say like, screw you. There's nothing wrong with me. Like, you're just nagging like right like nothing i ever do is good you can't do that look that's the person that's closest to you and they're telling you that they see a change in you out of love like this is out of pure love they're telling you that they are worried about you like you need to listen right. and you need to listen to that yeah my uh my wife told me i'm no good with people anymore and uh you know and that was we had a situation where uh you know we were we were meeting some new people and if I'm not mentally prepared to meet new people, I'm just not, I'm just not in, I'm, I'm yeah. going to have, I'm going <laughs> to screw something up. And, and I did, and I said something that I shouldn't have. And, and, and so she just, she just straight up told me, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this. You, you're, you're just, it's not good. And, and so yeah. I had to start looking and say, man, what, what's going on with me? Because for a long time I was, I would come home on my days off and I would lay on the couch. And I would, I would get up, I had Wednesdays and Thursdays off and I'd get up on Wednesday and I'd be pissed off. I would be just, mm -hmm. I would be angry and I don't even know why I was angry, you know, and I didn't learn till later that it's because I spend my, the entirety of my week, hypervigilant state, watching my back, arguing, mm -hmm. protecting myself, protecting other people. And then when I come home Wednesday, there's nothing. I don't have that adrenaline flowing through my body. So I'm, I'm yeah. almost looking to like pick a fight a little bit. Right. You yeah. Know? You're just coming down like crashing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So people who say, oh, I, it, let me let me go to a question here real quick. Sorry about that. I got, okay. I, got sure. I got all these notes right here, and I'm <laughs> and, and I'm a terrible note taker. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about what a person can do if they feel like they're struggling with PTSD, we, we have this, we have this stigma in law enforcement and everybody's well aware mm -hmm. of it in corrections that if we ask for help, that we're weak. If, if, if we see, we reach out, if we say, Hey, that thing that we, that, that guy hanging in the cell, that was kind of fucked up. Well, then people say, well, maybe you shouldn't work in corrections. Maybe you should get a different job. Right. And so yeah. we, sh we shut down again and we don't want to, we can't even talk to our brothers and sisters because we're afraid of being judged. And we don't want to take it home to our wife and kids because we don't want them to see those images or to even know that that kind of shit exists. So, so yeah. uh, Nick actually from the roll call room, he's listening and, and he, <laughs> he wanted to know what advice you could give those who are struggling with, with mental health issues in, in the field, PTSD in the field. What, what can you tell them to do? Well, so the good thing is right now that I think we really are making good strides um, in with making uh, mental health a priority in law enforcement. Um, and you can just see it all over. That's like the top. That's like the before coronavirus or and even now still like there it's been a huge 
um, talking point in law enforcement, which is great. And the first thing that you can, that you can do is like, if you realize that you are, are you need to reach out and get help? There's so many, um, anonymous hotlines out there. You can do like, you can contact, you can text now. Um, you can text blue to seven, four, one, seven, four, one, and talk to like law enforcement professionals and, um, and there's organizations like blue help, um, that we can help you connect you with resources that can help you get, um, the help that you need. But I mean, the first step is just even just like admitting and realizing that you need to, that you need to get that help. And, um, so the first thing you can do, even probably the best thing you could do would be reach out to somebody that you trust, like somebody at your, at work or somebody like a close colleague or even someone not at your work, um, reach out and be like, Hey, I've kind of been feeling a certain way. Like, what do you think? Like, what, like, have you seen anything in me? Like, um, like I've been thinking about getting help and, so I would reach out to a peer first. And then there's so many, um, actually Nick, it's funny that Nick just asked that. Um, Nick had just done a peer support, like kind of like training class. And he's going to be doing that, uh, which is awesome. And he's, he's a cop. So he, um, he's been through all of this and he's suffered from mental health um, issues as well. And uh, that was a great training that I attended which is really cool. And so there's a bunch of stuff, there's a bunch of stuff out there and there's a bunch of people that are there and every day providing new resources and new outlets for law enforcement to um, reach out to. And, and, so. and, and peer, peer support is huge because yeah. uh, we, we always talk, well, we don't want to talk to the counselor. We don't want to talk to these people. They never carried keys. They don't, they don't know what it's like to have to fight somebody and stuff. But so that's why, it's important for officers who who are struggling and are dealing with these kind of things or who have kind of come through on the other side to say, hey, uh, this bothers me, and so it's okay. You tell me what bothers you, that kind of thing, to kind of put themselves yeah. out there a little bit. Because then uh, if you if you, if you you make yourself available, then other people will, will start to talk about it. And then on the flip right. side of that, if you, if you aren't bothered – by the job, which I, I think you're bullshit. And if you, if you say that nothing's <laughs> ever bothered you, but yeah. if you aren't and you're going through it, then I think you have the obligation to do a couple of things. Number one, I think you should share your secrets and tell us mm -hmm. what it is you do that, you know, you can just, you can just, you know, disregard the death and the dismemberment and, and all the crazy things that we see, you can just forget about it and go camping on the weekends with your kid and not, and not worry about it. And the second yeah. thing you can do, and probably the easiest is when somebody's opening up, don't be an asshole. Don't, right. don't make them feel bad because they're having an issue. They're, they're having a normal reaction to an abnormal thing. Don't, don't make yeah. them feel bad about that. So, so you're right. Talking, talking to someone that's the, like you said, number one, acknowledging, and, and if mm -hmm. you can't acknowledge it, then listen to your wife, listen to your kids, listen. Uh, for me, one, I, I even had an inmate tell me what was wrong with me one day. I was walking <laughs> through and he asked me some question. I used to, I, you know, I talked to the guys, I love it, but he, he asked me some question. I said, what's it matter? We're all going to die anyways, you know? And, and, and he was like, dude, what's wrong with you? And so I yeah. went back to my station and I'm thinking, yeah, that's not. What is wrong with yeah, you? That's like, not wait. a normal <laughs> reaction for me. What the hell is wrong with me? Yeah. Um, but it's just little little cues like that. So acknowledge it, then you ask for help, and then and, and 
know that you can come back. If you if you say, hey, this event bothered me, this profession is bothering me, uh, you can still stay in that profession. It's not a it's right. not a career ending thing, right? Right. No. Yeah. And you, you, absolutely. Um, and when you come back, it's even it's going to make you a better a better employee too. So like, I, I don't know why, like anybody would discourage you to go to get help because if you need to take that time and like help yourself, that's only going to help you be a better employee. You know, like if your mental health isn't up like up here, then your performance is not going to be up there either. So like, it's only going to benefit everybody for like, if somebody needs to go and get help. Yeah, And I think, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was going to say, and there's like another thing too, like having outside of your profession, having those hobbies and having like things um, that you can focus your attention on and like positive things that are going to, um, that are going to help take your mind off of that stuff too, I think is really important too. Um, yeah. And, and, and you're right. That could be, it. you have to, you have to balance out the negativity with something and, and, and yeah. it, it could be. Like, like I, I, I tell the story a couple of times I watched, a, I was at my father-in-law's and we were watching a, uh, it was like the history of Hot Wheels or something crazy <laughs> like that. It was on the background of the TV and who, you know, whatever. But, yeah. um, there was this guy on there and he was talking about how he paints, he custom paints these little cars in his, in his basement. And I'm listening yeah. to the guy and, uh, and they're doing the interview and there's people that are, you know, the, the other people in the room are making comments and they're saying, oh, this guy, you know, he lives with his parents and he's probably some big loser. You know what the guy was? He was a cop. <laughs> and when he said that, nice. he, when he said that he was a cop, I understood it. I understood yeah. why he wanted to hide in the basement and paint these little cars because it's the furthest away from that element. That he could get. Right. That's why I like to. I like to garden. I like to uh, go kayaking. I like to get outside and be as far away from jail a- as I could be. It's it's super. Yeah. You're right. It's super important to balance that out. For sure. Yeah. So let me look at my notes here, Brianna. <laughs> oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Here's the other thing that I talk about in corrections sometimes, and 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 I don't think people understand and and. It, it's it's a little it's getting a little off into the weeds here, but but it's I think it's super important in our profession. It's why firefighters are always super skinny and and in shape, and why we're why we're fat and not. I I think that there are different ways that we are killing ourselves, and and, and I'll explain here. So we're all familiar with the traditional ways, right? And mm-hmm. and and it, that's glaringly obvious, right? But I think just as damaging, just as dangerous. It, it is when we don't take care of ourselves, when we when we drink, when we overeat, when we don't exercise. Um, I, I think that there are things that we're do- so it's not like actively killing ourselves. We're not just we're just not doing anything to prevent ourselves from dying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, go ahead. Yeah. No. And I was just to, yeah, to add to that. Um I mean, part of our financial issues that I talked about earlier, too, were a result from excessive spending on my dad's part. So, like, he, like, I, and we always, we, like, laughed about it at the time and stuff. But, like, now looking back, I'm like, he was just trying to, like, get any kind of high at that point, I feel like. Like, he was trying to be any kind of high. And so he 
would just like buy, buy, buy. He was always buying a new car, always buying like a new toy, like new lawnmower, new like whatever for the house, like right. always. And new motorcycle, boat. And like, I just feel like he was always just trying to chase that high, which ultimately like resulted in a huge financial issues and a huge debt on our on our end. Um, but that's just another one of the ways that like it added to his, I, I really think that added to his like um to his passing as well um and on top of the addiction and he i mean he did like to exercise and everything too like he was pretty in shape but um but yeah i know i know what you mean for sure no and you're right and i can totally relate to you know uh ordering ordering packages always having something you, mm. you want that adrenaline dump some of us you know yeah. it, it could be driving too fast it could be getting in road rage it could be getting in inappropriate conflicts with with normal people yeah. outside of work i mean we are constantly seeking that adrenaline dump that we have at work that we've learned to live off of and then when we don't yeah. have that we we get depressed I yeah mean, we feel like something's missing mm-hmm we have a we we have a lot of a lot of people on here thanking you for sharing your story. I want and I yeah, and I want to thank you again and and uh, tomorrow's Mother's Day, so I want you to tell your mom I said Happy Mother's Day and oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> tell her that uh, that she's one of my one of my uh, superheroes now. I think she's uh, I think she's Aww. amazing for for what she did and, and honestly she's for great. putting up a. I listen. I've been with my wife for twenty years, and uh, I think at the end of it, she needs for being a correctional officer's wife. She needs some sort of recognition. She needs an award or something She's, because we're, we're not yeah. easy to deal with. We're not. She is definitely, she is a saint for sure. Yeah. That's I love great. Her. Well, yeah. make sure you, make sure you tell her I said happy mother's day and, and uh, I will. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bree, do you have any last words or any closing thoughts for, for anybody out there that's, that's maybe uh, on the fence? See here, here's the thing. I know that your your dad's story and your story is, I mean, it's it's huge. It's it's very traumatic, um, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of people that'll be watching this that'll be like, "Well, that's not me. That's not. I'm not there. I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not gonna do that to my wife, whatever." But there's moments where we are sitting there by ourselves, where we're, you know we have those snapping moments where we lose control just for a second. And and I just don't think it's that far of a stretch to go from where some of us have been to where your dad went. And and, and yeah. I just I just want to stress the importance. Maybe you can maybe see nobody listens to me. I, I walk around <laughs> and I try to tell my friends, I try to tell my coworkers, I say, Hey, hey, listen, listen, listen. And they they don't listen. And and you know why? It's because when I I asked somebody one time, I said, what, what makes you a subject matter expert? And you know what they said? Be from out of town. So as somebody, (laughs) as as somebody else, uh, other than, than me, what, what, what can they do? What can they do to, to prevent themselves from taking that next step? So, I mean, my dad constantly, consistently would actually say, so we had, um, my brother and I had a schoolmate um, when we were in high school. We had, um, he was, I think he was only like 15 or 16 years old and he, um, he killed himself. 
and we remember like my brother and I were getting ready to go to the funeral and everything. And my dad was like, I just don't understand how anybody could, this was a year before he, before he killed himself. He was like, I just don't understand how anybody could ever do something like that. It's just not natural. Like it's not natural to want to take your own life. And he was adamant about that. And, and yet he still had all these things going on and we know he was battling a lot of shit in his brain like he was still like I know he was but still out loud he was saying this adamantly and it like breaks my heart to know that he was going through all of these things and he felt like he couldn't talk to anybody about it you know and after everything that happened it really left me feeling very helpless and very just like broken just like like he took a he took a piece of me like he I loved him so much and he we had no until a couple months before he passed away we had no idea that anything would ever come down to that and I know for a fact it's nine years later it will be nine nine years in August this is something I'm never going to recover from. And it's something I struggle from every single day. I have PTSD, depression, anxiety. I see a therapist. um, And it's something that I deal like I deal with every day. And what I would encourage um, an officer to think about is like his family and about his love or or his family or his friends or his loved ones or whoever in their life that are like the closest to them. And like really honestly think about where where they stand in their life because there are people out there that need you. Like you're such an like you, whoever you are, you're a very important puzzle piece to somebody's life. And I now am missing that puzzle piece. And like I don't feel like I'm ever gonna be complete without it. And I would just encourage you to think about how you can live your best life. And if that's, that means taking a step and reaching out to someone and admitting, like, I've been having these feelings, like, I feel like I need to talk to someone, like, please do that, please. Because I, like, I can't, like, the reason I got into this field is because I didn't want any family to go through what our family has gone through because it truly has been devastating, not only for me and my brother and for my mom, but our whole extended family has been, has dealt with it in different ways on their own. And the ripple effect truly reaches out so far. And like, you just don't understand how this impacts people like so far out from you. And like, I know when you get into that mindset, you get into that you're depressed or you like you have that the tunnel vision of just wanting the pain to end it's hard to see outside of that but what you need to realize is that it just there's so many people that your one life affects um and it's just really important that people remember that and regardless if you're embarrassed or however you feel about it like if like there you need to reach out and talk to someone um and get that make that step and get the help because just you matter like more than you understand
and I it, thank you for saying that, Brian. I and I and I think that it's important for as 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 officers to watch out for each other and to try to notice a, a change in each other's behavior because we spend a lot of time with each other. And, right. and I am, you know, if you know an officer is going through a divorce or if you know an officer is is struggling with something or their appearance has changed or maybe their behavior has changed in any way, um, and it could be subtle. It could be very, very subtle. Say something to them. Talk to them about right. it. Don't be afraid to receive. We're afraid sometimes to ask people if they're okay because if they say no, now we're responsible for that. Now we have to. Now we have to deal with that. And then there's a lot of people that 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 think that if you ask a person if they're suicidal or if they're thinking about killing themselves, that it's going to put that thought in their head. And, and right. that and that's not the case, is it? No, no, no. Um, and. Yeah. And like you said, like it can be very casual and very just like, like, Hey, like, bud, what's up? Do you want to get like a cup of coffee or something? And like, it can be casual and just like check in on them and see how they're, how they're doing. And sometimes that, like, that's all it takes too. like, if you just reach out and just be like, Hey, like, how you been? Like, how's the family? And like, if they, and that could open the door to so many conversations, you know? Um, so I think it really can just be as simple as that is just checking, just checking in and just making sure like your buddies know you're there for them. No, you're right. There's a, there's a, are, are you familiar with Kevin Hines? Yes. Okay. So, and, and that's his story. He, he says, yeah. look, I was on my way to the golden gate bridge. Mm-hmm. And if one person would have asked me how I was doing, if one person would have noticed that I was crying, if one person would ask me that I was okay, I wasn't going to jump that day. Right. You know, I mean, it, 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 so, so what you're saying is so true. It's just, it, it could be just that simple, just having a conversation with them. Right. Brian, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us. And, oh, one more thing. Let me ask you this. If, if, okay. if, if there is an officer, I'm sorry, I got, I got a thousand things running sorry. through my, my brain right now. Um, <laughs> are there resources for family members? Say, say you maybe think that you're, correctional officer or that a fellow correctional officer or a family or friend that you know is 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 taking a turn for the worse you you are concerned about their mental health maybe the way that they're dealing with or not dealing with the situation are there resources out there for them where where can you where can they go for help how can they learn more about uh suicide and some of the events that lead up to that so they can be better equipped to to intervene or to help prevent so definitely go to uh, bluehelp.org. Um, and so we um, have all of our resources, our trusted resources on there um, that you can uh, go find. And also a website that Bluehelp runs is firsthelp.net. So it's 1sthelp.net. And so that's a huge database of resources all over the United States. And so like an officer can go in and just um, they answer, I think, like six or seven questions and it'll help match them to resources and um, like inpatient, outpatient treatment places um, in their area, like specific to their area, which is really cool. Um, And obviously there's the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. There's the Crisis Text Line, which is really cool. and so that's text blue to seven four one seven four one. Um, 
there's cop line. Um, it's one eight, it's literally one 800 cop line. Um, and that's completely anonymous. So I've heard really, really, really great feedback from cop line. So it's completely anonymous and it's all run by, um, highly trained vetted law enforcement Good. professionals. So it's all either retired or current law enforcement professionals. So they really, truly, honestly, like can give you some of the best help. And then they can also refer you to local resources. So um, once we start being able to see people in person again, um, like they could even refer you to uh, local therapists or um, inpatient or outpatient treatment centers. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks for sharing all those. Uh, Brianna, thanks, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story. Um, and I'll put all the links to the the websites that you mentioned in this in this video below. I do have on the screen bluehelp.org, and I'm and I'm assuming cool. you can find those others uh, on on that. So, uh, yes. Brianna, thank you for joining me. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go and, and enjoy right. the rest of your Saturday night in uh, on the East Coast there, and uh, and and I hope to talk to you again. And I really appreciate it. and to, and and appreciate everything you're doing for the profession. And, uh, thank you. And, and yeah, just, I can't, I can't say enough. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Okay. Thank All right, guys. Thanks for watching. Uh, next week we're going to be discussing decompression techniques and why they're important with my guest. She's a counselor and she's going to tell us how to get our shit together. All right, guys, next time, uh, Saturday night, same time, 9 PM central standard time until next time. Be smart, stay safe, stay sane. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, let's go.